driven by excellence, your trusted place for all things logistics and road safety. Today we're joined by none other than former Traffic Commissioner Beverly Bell. If you're an LGV fleet operator, she needs no introduction. Beverly was appointed Traffic Commissioner for the Northwest of England in 2000, becoming the first female commissioner. And in 2011, she was appointed as Senior Traffic Commissioner for Great Britain. Today, we're going to hear about her career within that role and find out about what work she is continuing to do within the road safety sector. Beverly, thanks so much for joining us. Let's jump straight in. So for our listeners who may not understand the role of a traffic commissioner, can you just explain what the responsibilities are for someone holding such a prestigious role? Yes, I'm happy to. And thank you very much for the invitation. It's nice to be here. So traffic commissioners, there's only eight of them and they regulate the commercial vehicle industry, goods vehicles, lorries and also buses and coaches. And their job is to really sit as a judge in a transport court And if operators don't comply with the terms of the licence, they can appear before that traffic commissioner in that court. It's actually a tribunal, but it's Mm. effectively a court. And then the traffic commissioner can take action against the licence. Their main role as a commissioner is to put people right. Right. It's not to put them out of business, but they can, in certain circumstances, actually take their licence away. Mm -hmm. But other than that, what they're generally doing is putting operators back on the road to compliance by, for example, saying, I'm going to let you carry on operating, but I might reduce your vehicle authority. Mm -hmm. So instead of operating 100 vehicles, you might only be able to operate 80. Right. Or they may say the vehicles have got to be parked up for a period of time, maybe a weekend, and they might combine that with, for example, some driver training or having the vehicles given more safety inspections. So they're really interested in the outcome of the case Mm -hmm. to make sure that, that the operator does it right. So... In a nutshell, that's what they do. That's really interesting. Can you talk us through how you became the first female to be appointed as a traffic commissioner? And were there any barriers to contend with to achieve that? I don't think there were barriers to contend with to achieve that. I think the barriers come after the appointment. Interesting. So when, when I applied back in 1999, last <laughs> century, at the tender age of 39, <laughs> all of the traffic commissioners were what I call male, pale, stale. They were all <laughs> retired brigadiers and air vice marshals mm. looking really for a part-time job until they retired because they'd already retired from the armed forces. And the Department for Transport back in 1999 wanted to appoint three new commissioners. And so I applied I did think I was too young. Mm. I did think I was too female, but I did think it would put my name forward. Mm. But the silly bookers gave me the job (laughs) um, or one of the jobs. And I think the challenges came after that. Right. You know, I have huge affection for the traffic commissioners at the time, um, you know, and I'm still great friends with them. Mm. But it was a very different world. And I remember on the first occasion we went down to London and uh, this was the Department for Transport at their offices and the lady with the tea trolley came in and the senior traffic commissioner said pour the tea Beverly and I just laughed Mm. and I said well however did you cope until I arrived (laughs) how did you manage to drink the tea And, and one of the very lovely traffic commissioners says oh don't be silly Beverly I'll pour the tea and then there were operators who were like we've got a girl mm representing the traffic commissioners and and regulating us. What does she know about trucks? What does she know about buses? What does she know about coaches? And one operator who ran ran buses said to me, well, at least you'll know what it's like to get on and off a bus with a buggy. Mm. Which again, I thought was quite an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. And and so I I think I had to work harder to prove myself. And 
I therefore went and took the qualification, the transport manager CPC qualification, which you have to have if you want to be a transport manager. And for me, basically, uh, failure wasn't an option. Yeah, I've never been so terrified in my life as I was when I took that exam mm. in 2002 because I'd not sat at an exam since I'd been at university years <laughs> before. And thank goodness I passed. So I had to work hard to earn their respect, Absolutely. not to expect it as of right, but to mm -hmm. earn it. And the final barrier was knowing my limitations. What do you mean by that? So I don't know how an internal combustion engine works. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to know how one works. <laughs> uh, but I do need to know about commercial vehicles. Yeah. But again, I don't need to know the fine tunings of all the various moving parts. Mm. But as long as I know the basics and as long as I know where to go for advice, then I'm going to be okay. Amazing. So that's what I mean. Don't blag it and pretend you know what a mm. suspension shackle pin is if you don't. <laughs> if we can, we'd like to delve into the scenarios you've dealt with over your career. What sort of situations would mean a fleet operator would end up in front of you? And what does that process look like? So if I deal with the last part first, mm. the process is very straightforward. The DVSA, who are effectively the enforcement agency, will go and see an operator or they'll conduct an assessment from their office. And they will decide whether or not they need to meet the commissioner, I okay. always say, without coffee. Mm -hmm. And that's a public inquiry hearing. And that process can take anything between three and six months. Oh, wow. Because DVSA will go in, they'll do an investigation. They might then need to do some interviews, look at matters in detail, and then they have to send a report to the commissioner's office. And then the commissioner's office will then decide what to do. And that can take, you know, three to six months. It can take three. It just mm. depends. And that really gives the operator a period of time to put things right. Right. But once that call-up letter lands on the mat of the operator, the doormat of the operator's premises, they've generally got three or four weeks. Right. And then it's, you know, scramble. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get everything ready. In terms of what sort of situations bring an operator to public inquiry, we deal with this on our transport manager refresher training courses. We look at the causes of compliance, not the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So the symptoms would be poor maintenance. Mm. The symptoms would be failing to comply with the driver's hours rules and the tachograph regulations. The causes could be million and one. Mm. And we have, I think the latest we were up to on our last course, about 25 reasons. So things mm -hmm. like a transport manager who's in post, but they don't have the skills right. or they don't have the knowledge or they've not been on a refresher course or they're a really nice person and they can't shout at the drivers <laughs> uh, or they're not managing their maintenance contractor. Mm -hmm. The proportion of operators who wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to do it properly is tiny. Mm. It's probably one or two percent. Most failures are caused by a range of, of situations. As I say, it could be lack of training, lack of systems. Yeah. Or my particular favourite, we've always done it like that, love, and we've not killed anybody yet. Why mm. do we need to change? Mm -hmm. um, so it's about culture. It's about complacency. Yeah. It's about competence. Absolutely. What advice would you give fleet operators to ensure they maintain a safe and legally compliant fleet operation? People don't operate commercial vehicles because they're made to. They do it because they choose to. And the single piece of advice we always give operators in any scenario is take 
expert advice at all stages. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until something's gone wrong. Be proactive. Right. So if you are thinking of increasing your fleet and applying to the traffic commissioner for an increase, maybe have a health check. Maybe have an audit and see that things are as they should be. Mm -hmm. um, maybe spend half an hour on the phone to a transport solicitor or transport consultant and say, what do we need to do as we grow? Mm. Don't wait until things have gone wrong to then take the advice. Absolutely. So, so that's the advice that, that we always give. And also recruit the right people mm. and monitor them and mentor them and make sure that, that you're managing those people. We all have those standout moments within our career, be that a project and maybe in your role, a particular case. What would be your standout case you were involved in and why does that stay in your mind? Again, they fall into categories. Mm. In terms of the one that I had to do the most work on, my decision was, I think, 85 pages, whereas oh, wow. most decisions are about three. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a huge case with deliberate failure to comply with the driver's hours rules mm. and the tachograph regulations where road safety was really compromised. Right. So that is a big standout one. But the ones that live with you and will always live with you are the ones where the fatalities occur mm. and where you meet the bereaved. Yeah. And where you then have to deal with those operators who have caused that loss, that mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. And that's where your emotion can can come in and you have to really be detached right. professionally. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that live with you. We do a couple on our course. One involved a coach that went down to the Isle of Wight festival, mm -hmm. music festival. And on the way back, the driver of the coach and two young people died as a result of the operator deliberately. Yes, yeah. called the Mersey Pride case. Yeah. As a result of the operator deliberately choosing to put a 19-year-old tyre on the vehicle. I dealt with that case. Mm. And before I went in, and I still get upset now, before I went into the public inquiry, because the operator didn't come to the hearing. Mm, they couldn't even wow. face anybody. And before I went in, my press officer gave me photographs of the deceased and I know why he did it and he did it so I had a good cry before mm. I went into the public inquiry rather than during mm. the public inquiry and the loss of those lives was utterly needless yeah and it was down to a deliberate action by an operator the reason that case stays with me is because it brought about a change in the law well, okay so the mother of the young man who who died lobbied the Department for Transport for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely admire the lady. Mm. And she didn't get the answers she wanted from the department. And so she carried on and she never gave up. And so there's a law now and guidance from the department which says that operators must not put tyres that are over 10 years old on certain axles. That's great. And then the other thing, I was a commissioner at the time in the Northwest and I got together all of the industry and the industry worked together goods and passenger to develop a best practice tyre guide mm. to make sure that that operators know the risks of tyres themselves, not just their age, mm. but know the risks. And so they can take the right action That's amazing. To, to, to prevent it happening again. So I have a lot to be grateful for to that lady mm. for what she did in, in lobbying the department. So that's the one that I think probably will always stay with me. Beverly, from anyone who's sat in our studio, you were one of the most that's connected to the rule of law. If you had complete autonomy to change a law connected to transport and safety, would there be one? And if so, what would it be and why? 
I've thought long and hard about this question mm. and, and there's no one particular piece of law or legislation that I would want to bring in. What I would like to be able to do, if I had my magic wand, mm -hmm. would be to make everybody aware of the consequences of not complying. Yeah. Some legislation is there for other reasons. Operator licensing legislation is there for reasons of road safety and fair competition. And lots of operators are not aware of it. Mm. Or they think it's there for reasons of red tape. Right. Oh, I've got to I've got to do a driver defect you know, reporting system every day. Oh, what a pain that mm. is. But it's making them understand. And most of them do. You know, don't forget I'm talking about a tiny proportion who don't. Yeah. Most of them do understand why and what happens if it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. For me, the one thing, if I had autonomy, would be making operators really aware of what happens if they get it wrong. I spoke to an operator the other day and he used this lovely phrase. He said, Beverly, I wasn't born with the DVSA guide to maintaining roadworthiness in my hand. <laughs> I thought it was a really good point. Mm. But at what point do you make sure that the operators are educated enough to understand what happens when it goes wrong? Yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to put them in a position that they have to learn if an accident happens. Yes. You want to maintain that. Yes. In 2017, you left your role of traffic commissioner and set up Beverly Bell Consulting Limited. What led you to that decision and what are the aims of the consultancy? So when I was appointed in 1999, 2000, mm -hmm. um, I, I reached my 40th birthday at the end of 1999. And because, do you remember I said that most people had done it as a bit of a part-time mm -hmm. job until they mm -hmm. retired because they were appointed in their late 50s. Well, at 40, you think, right, okay, I'll go when I'm 50. Yeah. I'll do 10 years mm -hmm. because most commissioners hadn't sort of done, you know, lots and lots of, of years. Well, of course, I got to 50 and thought, I'm enjoying this so much, I can't mm -hmm. possibly give up. <laughs> and then I got to 55 and thought, hmm, I've been doing this job 15 years. Mm. I'm not sure that that's good for the industry. Right. Because, you know, it's a small industry, mm -hmm. although there's thousands of vehicles, it's a relatively small mm -hmm. industry in terms of, you know, people know each other. And I thought, is it actually good for the Northwest to have the same regulator for 15 years? Mm. And then I became the senior traffic commissioner in 2011. So that was another challenge. And when I got to 57, I thought, 17 years, it's long it's enough. Fine. It's long enough for the operators. I need <laughs> to give them a break. <laughs> and I need to give me a break. Yeah. And, and I always loved my work. Mm. But the point at which you think, oh, I'm not sure I want to carry on doing this. I think that's the point where you say yeah. it's time to go. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't resign as a commissioner. I retired as a commissioner at, at 57. But I thought, mm, I like shopping and I like shoes and I like <laughs> handbags and I like holidays. So if I had a little bit of a consultancy business, I could probably afford that. Mm -hmm. So I'll just do two or three days a week. Yeah. And then the other two days, Monday to Friday, I'll go shopping, go for lunch, <laughs> have a lovely time. So I bought a laptop, stuck a couple of adverts in motor transport mm -hmm. and thought I might get a little bit of work. And people started ringing me up and I'm sure, well, are you sure you, are you, sure you want to ask me? And they're like, yes. So it sort of grew organically. Yeah. And the purpose of it was really to share some of my knowledge mm -hmm. and the lessons learnt mm -hmm. with operators. And the business has really grown from, from that time. And I think I've now got eight or ten people. Amazing. But it's still doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's advising operators on how not to get into trouble yeah. in the first place. Or if you are in trouble, what you do to get out of it. Yeah. 
because those of us and all of us in this room have been in trouble at some stage mm -hmm. in our lives, even if it's only with the head teacher at school. Mm. And people can very easily adopt their, you know, head in sand position. Absolutely. Or rabbit in the headlights and think, oh, what do mm. I do? And can think, oh, well, I'll, I'll worry about it tomorrow. Yeah. By which time it's too late. So we try and make sure that people, if they are in that situation, that they can come to us and we can say, it's all right, we don't panic, it's mm -hmm. okay, we'll sort it. Or we'll say, this is what you do to make sure it doesn't happen in the first yeah. place. So that was where it was, you know, born from. So I do get the shoes and the handbags, <laughs> but the holidays are maybe not as many as I would like them to have been. <laughs> Now, in the same year, we see you were awarded a CBE, yes. which is one of the most prestigious awards you could receive. So congratulations, firstly, for that. Thank you. Can you talk us through that moment? How did that feel? I don't talk about this very often. The first thing I've learned to do is curtsy and walk backwards. <laughs> that was really useful, especially in a pair of Jimmy Choo high heel shoes. Amazing. When the envelope comes through the post, you think it's a wind-up mm. because it has, you know, the crest on. Yeah. And, and you think... He's done that. And then you open it and think, oh, gosh. And then you're not allowed to tell anybody. Oh, aren't you? No, okay. you're not allowed to tell anybody. So then they say, well, actually, you can tell very close family mm. members. So I told my children. Mm -hmm. I told my ex-husband, because we're still, you know, very good mm. friends. And I said to each of them, you know, to my children, you mustn't tell daddy. And I said to daddy, you mustn't tell the children. And they didn't. <laughs> oh, I love that. But I didn't tell my mother. Oh, you didn't? Because I knew she if I told my mother, she'd, she'd, yeah, <laughs> she'd tell the hairdresser. And before you knew where you were, the world would know. In terms of the day itself, it was terrifying. Mm. That's the only word I can use <laughs> to describe it. But a real honour, because it was the Queen who gave out the awards. Mm. Um, and that's very rare. We had a great time afterwards. I can't remember some of it, I will confess. Uh -uh. <laughs> we went out for lunch. Um, I had a big sort of party of, of people for lunch and we had a superb time. In terms of what it meant, people say, you know, what do you get the CBE for? Mm. And I got it for services to road safety in the freight industry. And that's what means a lot to me. Mm. So, yes, it was my... It was my proudest day in day four, it is. Mm. Day one was getting married. Day two was first child. Day three was second. And day four was the CBE. So Amazing. yes, it was marvellous. That yeah. does sound incredible. Yes. Now, we know you have your consultancy business. And from our research, we know you're affiliated in the role of vice president for the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. But we can see how multifaceted you are. What else is on the cards for Beverly and road safety? Yes, I mean, Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport is a bit of a mouthful, isn't mm, it? It is. It would be nice if it had a much snappier name. <laughs> the, the CILT work, I think, is really important because it's a membership organisation mm -hmm. and that brings together individuals who have a myriad of jobs and it's not corporate. Mm. And that's its real strength because mm. it's all about how can I learn from these people? I take part in the mentoring programme, so I like to mentor young people who are coming into the industry or the sector but I learn more from them than they learn from me, I think. Mm. So I love it, love mm. doing it. And the other thing I did was uh, Think Logistics, which is promoting transport and logistics as a career of choice to young people. Now, I'm not young. I'm 63 and mm. I'm 64 in December. Although I look in the mirror and a 23-year-old is in my mind, a 63-year-old lady who looks like my mother's looking back at me. Well, you still look great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's what I was saying. It. But point is, young people aren't going to listen to me. They're going to listen to people your age mm. with your experiences. And so the Think Logistics piece is all about 
young people going into the industry and then telling other people how great it is. Yeah. Because people don't go into the transport industry, as that guy said, I wasn't born with a DBSA mm. guide. Neither are they born going, I know what I'll do. Yeah. I'll work in transport. Mm -hmm. They want to do anything but work in transport. Mm. But once they're in it, they love it. So that is, for me, as important as the work I do, either as a consultant or I did as a traffic commissioner. Mm. In terms of road safety, I think... It's, for me, it's just business as usual. Mm. In a way, the consulting work is no different from the commissioner work yeah. because what you're doing is you're putting people back on the road to compliance. Mm -hmm. The difference is, as a commissioner, if you ask, people say yes. Mm. They don't mm. generally say no. Mm. If you ask as a consultant or advise as a consultant, it's up to them whether they choose to do it or not. Yeah. But most people who come to us do listen. listen and do take on board the, the advice so what else is on the cards well i'm 63 now and i'll probably go till i'm 70 mm -hmm. so and then loads of holidays and, get, and then <laughs> have loads of holidays and then i think it's just more of the same mm. um although i have recently become a grandmother <gasps> congratulations thank you. Thank that's you. so exciting it is so maybe a bit more time mm. with, with the family at some stage well deserved thank you we ask all of our interviewees to leave our listeners with a golden nugget of information or education, something that they can end the podcast and think, well, I didn't know that. So with all of your experience, what piece of road safety advice can you share with our listeners that might be new information to them? It's not a piece of information because the law's changing all the time, guidance is changing all the time. It's really a sort of little principle, which I quite like. And again, we talk about it in our work. So, for example, I know that the DVSA guide has been amended in April. Mm -hmm. I know that the commissioners are changing the way they look at roller brake tests. But it's not about those individual things. It's what we call ABC. Mm -hmm. And it's what the police use when they're doing an investigation. Assume nothing. Mm. Believe nobody. Mm -hmm. And check everything. Amazing. And I think if you follow that in whatever work you do, mm -hmm. then people won't go far wrong. Yeah. Don't assume that something's been done. Don't assume that that person can do the job when they tell you they can. Mm -hmm. Actually check that they can. Uh, believe nobody. Mm -hmm. People don't generally set out to lie. Mm. But there was an article on the radio this morning when I was driving up about little lies we tell ourselves every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so my little lie might be, oh, I don't know, today... I'm not going to eat chocolate. <laughs> I'm full of good intention. Mm -hmm. But then I think oh, I'll just have that twirl chocolate yeah. bar on the way home. <laughs> but it's not a deliberate lie. Yeah. So people don't deliberately lie, but sometimes they're a bit economical with the truth. Mm. And so when people say they've done things, don't automatically believe them. I used to say to my children, Edward, when he was four or five, have you cleaned your teeth, son? Mm -hmm. Yes, mummy. Go and get me the toothbrush. Yeah. Well, I was just going to do it, mummy. Mm -hmm. So don't make that assumption. Don't believe them when they automatically say they have and check. Mm -hmm. And for me, the, the checking is really important. Yep. When they say they've done it, say, OK, show me. Mm -hmm. And I think if you follow that in your work, it, you won't go really too far, really wrong. Far, far wrong. And not, not just work, but in life generally, really. Absolutely. So what do I know? I'm just a, I don't know. A woman with lots and lots of experience. So well, thank you for sharing that. It's great advice. Pleasure. Thank you, Beverly, for giving us a fascinating insight into your extensive career. Hearing about the barriers Beverly has needed to overcome certainly highlights the growth across the sector in recent years. 
I really enjoyed our conversation and I will certainly be using Beverly's advice around the ABC principles in the future. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Driven by Excellence. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, please don't forget to click that follow button, leave us a review or share this episode with a colleague. For more information and to keep up to date with industry news, head to our website, pdtfleettrainingsolutions.co.uk.